Okay. <clears throat> All right. So, so far, what we learned in this mimer is how Hashem gives us the challenge to transform the darkness and the lie of the world to light, and in order to uh, be victorious in this mission, Hashem gives us the treasure house uh, in, in, in Shemaim in heaven to uh, each of us in order to we should be able to be victorious in this war. Um, it's not something that uh, comes easy. There's a war. But it's certain, as we learned yesterday, that um, where is the language of the Rebbe? You have to arouse the essence of your soul. But when you do, you'll certainly win the war. That's what we learned yesterday. And Hashem is also, so to speak, involved in this war. Hashem wants to win this war as well. It's a war against Hashem. The uh, war against the lie. The war against a falsehood against the truth. And uh, Hashem, so to speak, is like a king who gives away all that he has in order to win a war. That's the... Uh, that's the analogy we learned yesterday. So today, in the rest of the discourse, the Rebbe discusses what exactly is this treasure house? What is Hashem giving us exactly? Now, for um, our unsophisticated ears, we, 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 we heard all, all that we need to hear already. You know, there's something great that Hashem gives us. And the Rebbe's elaboration uh, is about this lofty light of Hashem that we need to really just study to understand something about it. But um, so if I, uh, the fact that we have, we have to study to understand the incredible revelation that Hashem gives us tells us that there's something unfathomable about the kind of boost that Hashem gives us. It's not such just something that uh, you know we, we could explain what it is. It's something beyond our understanding. Um, just a little bit of an intro before we continue on in the mimer. The, in order to explain what the treasure house is in Shemayim, the previous Rebbe quotes the famous passage, The infinite light of Hashem is high without any end and is low without any end. That's the, those are the words. The many discourses in Chassidus explaining what those words mean. Chassidus points out that if we wanted, if the point of that statement was just to say that Hashem's light is everywhere, then it could have used the, the words of the Zohar, there's no place void of God. If that was the intent in, the, in that passage, Ur and Saf is high without end and is low without end, then it could have just used the expression, there's no place without, that God is not. But it specifically says two different adjectives, two different um, descriptions about Hashem's infinite light. That He's high without end and He's low without end, because there are two different um, sentiments that that statement is conveying. Hashem is high without end, is a reference to Hashem's light. Hashem is low without end, is a reference to Hashem's power. What's the difference? It, just like in, in the physical sense. 
a the light of the sun is attached to the sun, and if it would be separate from the sun for a moment, it would stop to exist. So too, when we talk about divine light, we're talking about something that feels its source, that is nothing other than a revelation of its source, and uh, the all of the various worlds that exist be, that are higher than uh, the lower last three worlds, Bria, Tziasiya, they all, all um, they all have some of this um, uh, something of this light is revealed in them, in the sense that in the world of Atzilus, which is the lowest of of the uh, the the lowest of the expression of this light of Hashem, uh, the world of Atzilus, as we learned many times, is like a king in his personal chambers, and there's nothing there except for the king. Unlike when the king goes to the throne room, where there are all the subjects which are standing there, and they feel the king, and they have reverence for the king, and they know the king, but there's someone there besides the king. And the king in his, in his private room, all there is is the king. In a similar way, when we talk about the, the, the revelation of God's light, we're talking about Hashem as he is alone. And how everything other than Hashem is kolachshiv, is, is considered absolutely insignificant. The light of Hashem feels how Hashem is beyond anything else, beyond the, that world of Atzilus that I just mentioned, beyond the worlds beyond Atzilus, beyond anything else, and, Hashem, and everything compared to Hashem is kolach is insignificant. That's what the, the light of Hashem, the Urian Sof, the infinite light of Hashem, uh, conveys. It conveys this truth that Hashem is beyond everything and everything is insignificant. And there's something of that, of that uh, sentiment that, that is also um, felt in, in Atzilus and the worlds above Atzilus. But that the first half of the sentiment is about the infinite light of Hashem, and everything before Hashem is like nothing. Then there's another half of the sentiment of that statement: the light of Hashem is low without any any limit. That statement is talking about how Hashem creates the world of Bria, Yetzira, Asiya, and this world, and all the 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 multitude of different kinds of creation, not just different kinds of creation, not just is there multiplicity. Uh, not only is there fragmentation, but there's also a spectrum of kinds of creation. There are creatures which are are more sensitive to doing the right thing, and there's creatures which are uh, the exact opposite, that they, that they feel like Pare says, I made myself and I made the river, I made the Nile River. There's nothing other than, than myself. Or like Nebuchadnezzar, who says there is other um, idol worshippers felt that there is there are many gods, and God is the greatest of all gods. God is Al-Qad Al-Qai, the greatest of, of all gods. And he said there's no God of all gods. You know, he, he's, he's the God. So Hashem made all kinds of creatures, not just different kinds of creatures, but there's a whole range of, hi, of hierarchy, of, of different levels within God's creation. That kind of creation is called Hashem's power. Why is it called Hashem's power? Because just like when you um, throw a ball to the air. So there's something of your power that departs into the ball and therefore allows it to suspend and go against the force of gravity. Because you've imparted something in that ball and it's now going against the grain, against the force of gravity. 
so it's separate from you, it's something from you has gone into the ball. In a similar way, Hashem creates a reality that feels that it's separate from Hashem. Beginning with the throne room, the world of Bria, which, although they, all the creatures in the world of Bria, like in the throne room, they feel absolute reverence for Hashem, and they feel dveikus, uh, attachment to Hashem. In fact, the previous Rebbe said that the world of Bria, what is it? It's a place of dveikus, a place of attachment. But nonetheless, it's still creatures that have a state of that have the experience um, this this attachment. So we're talking about things that experience that attachment. And the world of Yitzira is less. Analogy the Rebbe gives the world of Yitzira is like people who have been in the throne room and have left the throne room. And the world of Asiya is like people who at the far reaches of the kingdom will never even heard barely about the king. And they need the messengers from the palace to tell them who the king is and to bring them things from the king. That's The, the far reaches of the palace is, is of course this world. So all of those worlds have in common that they are a thing. To a, to a, they, their thinginess, if you will, is uh, more or less, depending on what level of world we're talking about, from the throne room to this, to the far reaches of the kingdom, but they all, they all have a similar um, shared value of we exist. They have a shared value of a we, that there's something. So that's why it's called a power, because just like a power departs from this person and separates from the person, when you impart that power into the ball, so too Hashem creates a reality that seems like it's separate from Hashem. Of course, the truth is that there's nothing separate from Hashem, but the perceived reality that there is something separate from Hashem, chas v'shalom, that perceived reality is called Hashem's power. That's the meaning of Hashem's light is infinite and descends without limit. It's not an expression like the first half of the sentence. How Hashem is high without limit. That first half of the sentence expresses how everything compared to Hashem is like nothing. And, and all of the reality that is created by Hashem's light that feels, not, it feels Hashem um, as, as the only existence and that they exist, their existence is nothing. The first half of the sentence is expressing how compared to infant light of Hashem, all of existence is nothing. No matter how, highest, the highest world you may think of, beyond that silos, way beyond that silos, it's all nothing compared to Hashem. That's what the first, first half of the sentence is, is expressing. It's expressing Hashem's revelation, Hashem's light. That compared to Hashem's light, everything is like nothing. Compared to Hashem's truth, it's all nothing. The second half of the sentence is expressing a different truth. It's expressing how... Hashem has power. Hashem is able to hide His light and create a reality and make a tzimtzum so that there, there is an existence that feels itself to be separate from Hashem. What we're going to learn now is how in the realm of Hashem's power, Hashem contracts Himself to create a reality that Hashem feels separate from Him. In that itself, there's also infinity. Not only is there infinity in, the love, in Hashem's light, in Hashem's infinite light, that senses that everything before Hashem is like nothing, but there's also infinity in the reality of, of those who feel separate from Hashem. There's also an infinite amount of creatures in that realm as well. Uh, so that means that in the process of tzimtzum, there's, there, the, the light has not lost its infinity. In the process of tzimtzum, there, nothing is, has been lost yet. There's still, there's still infinity there. Despite the fact that there is a tzimtzum, there's a contraction, and that produces a reality that feels itself to be other than godliness, 
Despite that, there's still infinity in that reality itself. Okay. Um, one, one more uh, item for introduction. What is, the Tzimtzum did two things. The Tzimtzum hid Hashem's infinite light. Before the Tzimtzum, there is the infinite light of Hashem. And there's also what will, what will later be the source of the uh, Kav, the light of Hashem that, that is produced by the Tzimtzum. The light of Hashem that is limited and gives a measurement, and it's called a kav. A kav means a measuring rod. It's something which is a ruler and goes to, and, and Hashem measures what each creature is and gives each creature its characteristics. So both lights exist before the tzimtzum. There's a difference, though, between the way the lights exist before the tzimtzum and the way they existed after the tzimtzum. Before the tzimtzum, the infinite light of Hashem is revealed, and Hashem's limited ray of light is submerged in this infinite reality. So you don't notice that there's something limited there. The analogy that Chassiz gives is of a teacher who both has the ability to learn ideas himself, and he also has the ability to convey ideas to his students. There are, those are two distinct abilities. There is his infinite ability, infinite vis-a-vis the students, to, to go deeper and deeper into the, into the ocean of the Talmud. And then there is his ability to convey ideas to his students, which is an entirely different ability. It's his ability to limit and to understand his students and give them something they could handle. While the teacher is analyzing the Talmud himself, and he is dipping into the sea of the Talmud, and he's going into the Ragachav, and into the Mamshif, the other energy of this teacher is, is not seen. It's hidden. Because what's revealed, what's felt, is that infinite the experiences, what is he doing right now? He's, he's delving into the infinite light, to his infinity, if you will, to his deeper insight, if you will. So his other powers aren't, aren't noticed. In order for him to begin to relate to the students, the very first thing he has to do is to forget about the way he understands the subject. He has to totally, not just contract the ideas that he has about the Maram Shif and the Ragachavar, he has to decide, I'm not thinking about, the, I'm not trying to dip, dip into the Seed of Talmud anymore. I'm now going on teacher mode. I'm now going to my student, I'm going on student mode. And he is going to now totally remove from his mind the Ragachavar and the Ram Shiv. And he's going to now switch gears and totally focus on the student. In that process, he does two things. Number one is he's removing that other energy in him, he's removing that ability to go and to relate to the student, to, to relate to the Ragachavar, to relate to the infinite sea of the Talmud. That's one thing he's doing when he turns toward the student. The second thing is, now he has this new energy that he's discovered. It's, it was there before, but it was enveloped. He had that ability in his mind as well before. It wasn't something that he, he now, that now begins to exist. But it wasn't noticed before. So now, when he engages with a student, he, he has to do a second thing. The second thing he has to do is, and this is part of the process of turning to the student, is that this, the items in his mind that he feels that are relatable to the student, he now has to 
stop looking at those very same items the way that he looked at them originally, he has to now think about the world of the student. He has to totally forget about the way he looked at them. He was, let's say, for example, now Jay gave the Ragachavar, he forgets about the Ragachavar, he forgets about the Marmshif, and he wants to teach his fourth grade class in the same subject, the Mishnah. So now he's only, only focusing on the Mishnah. But the Mishnah itself, he's not just looking at the Mishnah, he's looking at his students understanding the Mishnah. He's looking at them. So that means that even in the even those items which are relatable to the students, which is feels the students could understand, he has to further contract and bring it to them to to their world. He looks at the Mishnah and he's memorized the Mishnah, and he knows the deeper insight of the Mishnah. But not only does he, he even the simple translation of the Mishnah, he now has to further contract and think about what kind of analogies he could bring to the students to help them understand what the Mishnah is talking about in the first place. He, there's a contraction not only in the, in, in the removal of those deeper insights that he had, there's another contraction in the items that he can convey to the student. He has to take those items and further limit them so the student could understand them as well. That means, in, in going back to the analog, there is a, the, the, what the symptom accomplishes is that, number one, the Hashem's infinite light is hidden, and number two, even the light of Hashem, which is meant to animate and create the universe, the limited kav, the measuring rod energy, also is contracted, also is limited. But the, the limitation that happens in the kav doesn't take away its ability to still be infinite, to still produce an infinite amount of creation. So that's what, the, what this passage means, Hashem's light is in, infinite to goes down to no limit that means even after it goes down it also remains infinite we only have a few minutes let's try to read those words inside we are um, actually no we're not going to have time to read this inside today uh Let's just let's just add one more point. Um, the reason why uh, the light of Hashem has this property of being infinite is because there's a rule that the light is always similar to the luminary, just like the uh, luminary, Hashem's essence has no definition and is infinite, so too the light is also infinite. And although there's a tzimtzum, although there's a contraction, and I'll tell you what, you know what we do today, we're going to read the Rebbe's note on the Mimer. Uh, there is an impact of tzimtzum, it's, it's in, in page Chavchas, the Mimer, Oiz uh, base. The impact of the tzimtzum is that the light of Hashem, the light which is about the Kav light, the symptom impacts that light, the limited light, the light of the, which is related to the student, so that it should have a limitation. There's another impact of Tzimtzum. Tzimtzum also removes the infinite light. But let's talk about the impact of Tzimtzum on what's, re- what's relevant to the student. The removal 
of the infinite light of Hashem does not change at all the limited light of Hashem. Rabbi Yolkanel Vashom used to put it this way. Historically, historically it's true that when we talk about Simsum, there is a removal of all light, both the infinite light of the teacher and the light that's relevant to the student. But geographically, the infinite light of Hashem was removed, so to speak. Nothing is removed, of course, the Simsum is not, is not Kipshuta, it's not to be understood literally that the light was removed, it's just it was hidden. But the, the, the infinite light of Hashem being hidden, that was what the point of the Simsum was. In order to discover the, the information that the student needs, the teacher has to forget about his own insight. But he doesn't have his, the insight that's relevant to the students that the teacher has in potential when, he's, when the teacher is going through the sea of the Talmud, going through the Raga Trevor, and that, that potential he has to convey to the student, that potential doesn't, doesn't need to be removed. That was limited in the first place. So therefore, the symptom isn't the, the, the first symptom. What's unique about the, the first symptom is a total removal, total removal of light. So Rabiel was saying that although there is a total removal of light, but you don't really need to have a total removal. You only need to remove the infinite light. The the limited light, you just need to contract a little bit more so that it could be relevant to the students a little bit more. But the reason why there was a total removal of light was in order to discover and to separate the infinite light from the limited light. Because while the infinite light is revealed, so then you, the teacher's ability is, is, is muddled by this experience that he has going through the Sea of the Talmud. Therefore, he has to forget everything. He has to, he has to start, over, start over again. But you don't really need to, to have a total removal, a total concealment of the limited light. The limited light is only removed because in order to discover the light of that's irrelevant to the students, the teacher has to forget everything. But if we were to go into a laboratory and we were to be able to separate the teacher's um, ability to understand the Talmud himself and his ability to relate to the students and be able to separate them, there'll be no need to remove the light that's relevant to the students. It's only just in order for the teacher to be able to find that, he has to forget about everything. So, so although the unique property of the first symptom, symptom as removal, or symptom as total concealment, complete concealment, is only needed for the infinite light of Hashem, not for the limited light of Hashem. So that regarding the limited light of Hashem, that light only has to undergo some more subtle form of contraction, some more, some more not, not such a gross, dramatic change as the infinite light does. Infinite light has to be completely hidden for there to be a, a, for there to be a post-symptom kind of reality. But the limited light of Hashem does need to have such a, 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 a doesn't need to be, have such treatment. It just needs to be somewhat more um, contracted, somewhat more uh, changed, but not so dramatically. What's, what we're saying is, what the unique thing that we're saying is, that although there is a tzimtzum in the limited light of Hashem too, it still has something infinite, and it's able to create an infinite amount of creatures. So although the infinite light of Hashem is, uh, and the limited light of Hashem are, are both um, 
removed through the process of the first simsum. The goal of the simsum really is to remove the infinite light, and the limited light isn't really changed by the simsum. The limited light is able is, is the same before the simsum as it was after the simsum. Just before the simsum, it was enveloped by the infinite light. Like as much as a teacher is not, not able to think about the students when he's still going into his own uh, his, his own analysis. So, despite the fact that there is a simsum in the limited light of Hashem as well, somewhat, somewhat, some change, not the unique first simsum kind of thing where the total removal, but the some simsum happened to that limited light of Hashem. I just want to point out, if you read the words inside, it says that there was no simsum in the limited light. But again, that's where Abiel wanted to, that's where Abiel uses this analogy of geography and history. In history there was, but geograph- geographically there's no real change in it. There's no real first simsum total removal kind of change in the limited light. So although, but, fine. But although there was some change in the limited light, still it remains infinite. That's why it produces an infinite amount of creatures. Okay, that's the um, that's what it says in that little note on the bottom of the space. Go stop here. Zaka baruch.